Amen and amen. All right. I want you to take your Bibles if you got them and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Galatians, Ephesians. Turn back if you get to Philippians. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to get some help tonight. Last week we talked about when your Savior becomes your encourager. Everybody needs saving. It is a sad day when a preacher says everybody needs saving and folks don't say amen. That's pretty pathetic, isn't it? Everybody needs saving. But everybody needs encouraging too. We're talking about Jesus as your Savior becoming your encourager. We're going to move on to something else He's going to do for you tonight. Boy, if you're going to live in the days we're living in, the days that are coming, you need to get this tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about the boots of peace. We're talking about Jesus becoming our peace. The boots of peace. This wonderful passage, you're probably familiar with it in Ephesians 6, what we call the armor of God. It's a passage about spiritual warfare. When are God's people going to start believing that every day you step into a war zone? This ain't, excuse me, this is not the good ship lollipop. This is a battle. Dear ones, you are in a war zone in a spiritual war zone and the war is intensifying every day we turn the calendar. What's happened in this nation in this past year or two? I knew it was coming because I've known prophecy for years. I had no idea it would come this fast, this hard. Three years from right now, you're going to go, you have got to be, well, we're doing it now. You've got to be kidding me. I'm telling you, it is heating up in this land. And, and, and we've got to come to the understanding that the spirit world controls the visible world. Right. Our father tells us this over and over. And then we act like there is no spirit world in our day to day life. Dear ones, the spirit world controls the visible world. To fix things in the visible world, you've got to go into the spirit realm. Yep. You have to lay the axe to the root of the problem. It's in the spirit realm. What you see happening on the earth is spiritual in its origin. And this is that great passage that teaches us this. I, I love this passage. And I want you to, I want you to, if you've never read this before, or if you've read it, I want you to, I want you to hear it like the father uh, says, <clears throat> by the way, there's something I need to say to you. And I want you to hear what he's got to say here. In Ephesians 6, let's put it in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If I walked up to you and you said, I'm going somewhere, and I said, oh, oh, here, take my pistol. You'd go, that sort of tells me something about where I'm going. (laughs) When God Almighty says, I love you, now take this armor. That should tell you what's coming, dear ones. Mm -hmm. That, That tells his people what's coming. Verse 12 is the verse that we need to capture. We do not wrestle. See the word wrestle? It's also translated struggle, war, battle. You are in a conflict. You are in an everyday conflict. You say, I know where I'm at. No, the conflict you see is the fruit of the conflict you can't see in the spirit realm. You're in a conflict. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, what's flesh and blood? People. It's not the Democrats. It's not the Republicans. It's not the rich. It's not the poor. It's not the blacks. It's not the whites. It's not the plaids. It's not the northerners. It's not the southerners. It's not even you. Why you beat yourself up? It don't say you're wrestling with you. There was our battle is not against people. 
It's not even against yourself. Look at these words. We're not in a battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age. Let me ask you a question. Is there any darkness in this age right now? What does that passage tell you right there? There is a ruler ruling the darkness of this age. Somebody is running the mess going on on this land. And you're in a battle with principalities and powers. But principalities, principalities are dark demon spirits that rule a principal area. That's why they're called principalities. For instance, in the Bible, Daniel speaks about the prince of Persia. That was the demon spirit that ruled the country of Persia. There's an evil spirit that rules America. And then there are local evil spirits. You, I asked my friend Mark Walker, our congressman, I said, when you fly into Washington, D.C. every Monday, can you feel it when you get off the plane? He said, it hits you right in the face like a buzzard gut. There is a dark power over Washington, D.C. I mean, you, you can read the news and figure that out. There's a principality over San Francisco. There are principalities, and these are ruling spirits that rule areas. Well, what does this say? You're struggling against them. All right, the Bible says we wrestle with principalities, powers of darkness, the rulers of the darkness of this age. What is spiritual? What's a host mean? Being, spirit beings. You're in a battle with spirit beings of wickedness. Now, does heavenly places mean way up in heaven? No. There's three, the word heaven is used three different times in the Bible and it refers to three different places. It refers to the heaven of the heavens, which is where God is. It refers to the celestial heavens, which is where the stars and the moon and the sun are. And the third heaven, which is this is referred to, is the atmosphere around our heads. It's the spiritual atmosphere. We're not wrestling with spirit beings up yonder. We're wrestling with spirit beings right there. The heavenlies is right here. It's the, it means the spirit realm around us. And the Bible says we're struggling against spiritual beings in the spirit realm around us. All right, verse, what's the first word in verse 13? Therefore, because you're in a conflict, because you're living in a place that has spirit beings all around you and they're behind this garbage, because you live in a war zone, therefore, take up or put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Dear ones, you should be standing in the evil day. But can you see from that verse inclusively, if you don't take up this armor, you will not stand. Not enough to be a child of God. You got to put on the armor of God. All right, he goes on to say, and then he describes it, verse 14. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, which is the word of God, or the truth of God. The breastplate of righteousness, which is the blood of Christ. Tonight we're gonna look at verse 15. Having covered your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace or put on the boots of peace. Verse 16, above everything else, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the lies of the wicked one. Surely you don't think he's shooting arrows at you. These are thoughts that come into your mind. And you can quench every thought that comes from hell with the shield of faith. The Bible is very clear. Take the helmet of salvation and the, my favorite one, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying with all prayer in the spirit. You pray the word of God in the spirit. And that's, what's the only offensive weapon in there? The word of God, the sword of the spirit praying. All right, now the Bible is very clear here that we have this armor given to us. You're in a battle. He's given you armor to protect you. Well, don't get caught up in shield, helmet, sword. No, no dear ones, it's, it's truth. The righteousness of Christ. Believing what God said. Peace. And you know what he gave you to fight this battle with? Peace. 
I should tell you a lot about what the enemy uses on his side. But I want to know, I want you to know something. He says this, did he give you this? Is this available? What's your responsibility? Put it on. You got to put it on. How often? Don't ever leave home without it. I read an interesting book by a couple of Navy SEALs. The greatest SEAL battle ever fought was in taking the city of Ramadi uh, in the Middle East several years back. And they had an outpost in that city and they had to take that city back from ISIS demon-possessed insurgents. And they had to work, they had to fight that battle for months. And they took that city inch by inch, door by door, house by house. And they came back in their compound every night. Every morning they got up, they went back out. He said, we were in danger of being picked off every moment. We knew they were watching every moment. And they took that city. Those seals that went out, they went out with ceramic shields, breastplates, which are bulletproof vests, Kevlar helmets, uh, you know, the Brownings, they carried their rifles. Do you think those seals went out against those enemies committed to murder them in their pajamas? <laughs> Guess what that seal had to do? After he rested at night, he got up every morning and did what? He put on what his government had given him. Had he not put it on, he'd have been dead within 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Dear ones, y'all, anybody old enough remember streaking? <laughs> it's really big in the 70s. In case you weren't there, people just took a notion they wanted to run around naked. <laughs> Football games, baseball games, somebody just tear out across the field naked, they called it streaking. Ray Stevens wrote a song about it called, Yeah, They Call Me The Streak, Fastest Thing On Two Feet. Y'all remember that? <clears throat> and streaking, I'm, I'm sort of glad it's over. Now we just have public streaking everywhere is what we've got now. Dear ones, let me tell you what I'm seeing in the body of Christ. I see spiritual streakers running out of the house every morning. I'd no more go out of my house without putting peace on than I'd go out without putting my britches on. You got to put it on. And tonight we want to talk about just one piece and that's the boots of peace. Let me talk about peace for a minute. By your creation, you are designed for peace. Your creator created you for peace. You can, you can only live and flourish. Now you can get by and you can suffer, but you can only flourish in an atmosphere of peace. You know what a greenhouse is? A greenhouse is a controlled environment that is built specifically to help plants flourish. I visited one time near Charlotte. The largest greenhouse in America is right outside Charlotte. It's called Metrolina Greenhouse. Folks that are friends of our ministry here own it. We went down there and visited one day, 165 acres under one roof. I mean, millions of plants growing and they're all doing great. We were down there. I forget, Katie. We were down there in cold weather. Had they not been in that greenhouse, they would have died. They'd have died overnight. But because they were in that environment, those plants flourished. Listen to me. Peace is the environment you flourish in. We were designed to live in peace. Listen, your life is only going to be as good as your heart is. Guard your heart because out of your heart come all the issues of life. Well, your heart is designed to function in peace. Our hearts were not designed to function in strife, confusion, fear, anxiety, hatred, anger. That is, that's the atmosphere that kills the human heart. Hearts flourish in an atmosphere of peace. Let me tell you something about your marriage or your home. Homes flourish in an atmosphere of peace. Let there be peace on earth. Nations can only function well in an atmosphere of peace. We've got to have peace. Let there be peace in the land. Our Father created us to live in peace. Matter of fact, you ever notice how today that our nation people are on a search for peace? 
You know, they, they pack up and go somewhere to the mountains or the beach or some quiet place to get away from it all. Problem is you take the problem with you when you got away from it probably, but you hear people say this, it's so peaceful out here. That is the human heart crying out for the peace it was created to thrive in. Number one reason drug addicts say that they used, they stole their mama's jewelry and did everything. The number one reason they say is this, I, I ate anything that would bring me some peace. What is substance abuse? It is a search for peace on the inside. Yeah. Our land is desperate for peace today and it, it's sort of des- disappearing. All right, can peace be found today? Yes. Listen, used to be peace was an added bonus. The day we're living in, it is a necessity yeah. and it's fixing to get even more needed. All right, let me, let, me, let me give you the great, there's a great end time prophecy in the Bible concerning peace. Yeah, you got to get this. I want you to see this. Turn with me to Revelation chapter six. Look at this prophecy concerning peace and the latter days. Of course, you don't have to be a prophet or know the Bible. You can be my age and know there's something funny going on today. When I was a boy, uh, right before electricity came to America, <laughs> when I was a boy, I had never in my life heard of road rage. It didn't exist. I'd, there was no, I'd never heard of a school shooting. There'd never been one. America was Andy Griffith. Now it wasn't perfect. Um, we didn't lock our doors. If somebody would ask you where the car keys are, you'd look at them crazy. Well, they're in the car. Where do you think they are? Andy Griffith was America. Father knows best. My three sons. There, there was peace in the land. It wasn't perfect. No, it wasn't perfect. But something has happened in the last 50 years in this land. And it can be described in, a, in, in, well, it's in Revelation 6. This is the great prophecy of what would happen in the latter days. Have you ever heard of the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse? Mm-hmm. Billy Graham wrote a great book called The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And the Bible said in the latter days, four powerful demon spirits will fill the earth. Mm-hmm. One's the Antichrist. But I want you to look at number two. And they're, they're called horsemen. They're evil spirits. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 3. He opened the second seal. I heard the second living creature say, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. Now, let me, I'm sorry, I've got, I've got to pause and help you here. Revelation is linear. Revelation 1, you have the revelation of Jesus. Revelation 2 and 3 are world history up until the rapture of the church. Revelation 4 and 5 are an interlude where you look into heaven. And Revelation chapter 6 begins the tribulation period of violence and trouble on the earth. And this is Revelation chapter six, verse three says this, you know, we open the second seal of judgment on the earth. And this is what's coming on the earth. Verse four, another horse fiery red went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. A powerful demon spirit is going to go out in the earth and what's his ministry? What can he do? He's going to take peace out of the earth. I've seen this happen in my lifetime. Now, there've always been wars, rumors of wars. There's always been periods of conflict, but we're in a global vacuum of peace right now. Conflict has filled the earth. And the Bible said this powerful being that goes out has the ability to take peace out of the earth. All right, what happens when you take peace out of a home? What happens when you take peace out of the the land? Well, let's read it. Verse five, uh, excuse me, verse four. It was granted to take peace out of the earth that people should kill one another and there was given to him a great weapon. When you take peace out, what happens? People turn violent and violence fills the vacuum where peace is the deterrent to violence and strife. 
You take peace out, violence fills the land. What's the worst you can do with violent people? Arm them. I'm not talking a redneck pickup truck with a 45. I'm talking about an idiot in Iran with a nuclear missile. And the Bible said Satan's going to give great weapons to people who have lost peace and this evil spirit, which ends in destruction. This is in the earth now. You're starting to see this spirit operate in the earth now. All right, listen to me carefully, and we'll see this in Scripture. Satan's first step to destroy anything, a marriage, a church, a land, take peace out of it. Get the peace out. If you can just take the peace out, you can destroy it. That, that's his... Uh, Satan is the creator. Now listen, Jesus is the prince of peace. Everywhere he goes, peace follows. Satan is the prince of strife. He's the divider. He's the one that stirs things up and he creates strife. And he, the Bible teaches he creates strife in two places. Number one, he creates it internally. He creates it right here. We're going to see in a minute, if you've got, you got strife in your heart and if you're upset and angry and torn and tormented and confused. That ain't Jesus. That's the powers of hell. All right. And then he can create strife communally turning. And what did he say? Race will turn against race. Matthew chapter 24. These signs will be in the latter days. Uh, races will turn against the races will turn on each other, turn against each other. Nations will rise against nation. There'll be war. He, he creates strife communally. I've never seen churches fight like they're fighting today. Southern Baptist will meet, I think it's next week. They're about to blow all the pieces over their internal strife. Just war. and I, these, This internet thing of the trolls. What is going on? Marriage is in trouble. People just can't have a civil word. Guess who's behind that? And, and the way you destroy is to create strife. All right, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Now, listen to me carefully. The Bible teaches there are two atmospheres in the earth. You're going to be in one or two atmospheres. One's going to be the atmosphere of strife. One's going to be the atmosphere of peace. You see the difference see the strife or peace in your heart, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your church, in your business. Let's turn and look at the great passage on two atmospheres in the land. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Uh, find the book of Hebrews and you'll find James right after that. I'm stunned at the Christians who've been Christians for years and don't know this yet. I told somebody other day, I said, at that, this church, I said, your preacher hadn't done a very good job teaching y'all, has he? He says, I don't know. Maybe they, didn't, maybe they didn't listen. I'm not sure. James 3, this great passage. Now, now put your seatbelt on before we read James 3. This, this hits people like a buzzard gut sometimes. All right, verse 14 of James 3. If, if, if you have bitterness, envy, Self-seeking. The word self-seeking is better translated strife. In your hearts. What the Bible says right there. If you, if you don't have peace on the inside, if you're upset, if you're angry, if you're mad, if you're confused, if you're worried, if that's what's in your heart, look what the Bible says about it. If that's in your heart, <clears throat> do not boast and lie against the truth. What does that mean? Don't justify it. This wisdom, what wisdom? Strife on the inside, tore up on the inside, does not come from God. It is earthly, sensual. What's the third word? Demonic. What does Satan do? Now, listen to me. This is written to believers. What does Satan do to believers? He starts by getting them upset on the inside. He gets them agitated. He gets them angry. He gets them, here's, here's the word, offended. 
Satan is the master. He destroys homes and churches by bringing offense. And I've, I've talked to Christians, you know, long-term, long-running Christians. I say, you're, you're missing it here. And they'll say, I've got a right to be upset. I, whoa, 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 whoa. You'd be offended too. I said, no, I wouldn't. I've learned. Listen to me. Listen to, don't listen to me. Don't listen to me. Listen to God. He's smarter than I am. Great peace have they who love thy will and nothing will offend them. I'm not making this up. You, you don't have to be toe up. You don't have to live upset. You can live in peace. All right. Now let me ask you a question. All right. On this scripture, why would the enemy get inside of a believer's heart and create confusion and aggravation and anger? And why would he do that? Read the next verse. Four, verse 16, because where strife and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing follow. What's the first thing he does if he wants to bring evil into your life? He gets you tore up at heart level. He brings strife into your heart. Now let's shift. Get, that's the atmosphere. Can you see that the atmosphere that brings evil in the earth is an atmosphere of conflict, strife, fear, worry, Let's shift gears to the other atmosphere. You're going to like this right here. Verse 17. The wisdom is from above. What does that mean? When the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you, when you're hearing the voice of God, when God's ministering to you, let's see what it's like. It is first pure, then what? Peaceable. It brings peace inside of you. It's gentle. Could we use some gentleness in the land today? Well, if you're gentle, you're weak. You don't know the difference between meekness and weakness. Weakness means I can't do it. Meekness is power under control. Jesus was meek. Let me make an announcement. Blessed are the meek. Mm -hmm. Blessed are those who hold back, which is what it means to be gentle. The Bible said it's gentle. What's these words? Willing to give in. So it reminds you of our U.S. Congress, doesn't it? Do you know anybody in this land that's willing to give anymore to have peace? If you're hearing God, you're willing to give. Well, I'm going to have my way. Well, you're not hearing the voice of God. That's the voice of strife. Well, I'm not giving in. Well, be single. Sleep on the couch, dude. It's your life. I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Watch this. It's pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy. You don't owe me one thing. You don't owe me a thing. Forget it. God bless you. Don't worry about it. Good fruits, no partiality. Do you see that word partiality? Not preferring white to black. Not preferring black to white. Not preferring the rich to the poor, the Baptist to the Methodist, the Southerners to the Northerners. You don't, there is no tribalism when God is talking. There is no partiality. We're all one. And you don't divide people. There are no Democrats, no Republicans. None of that foolishness. And without hypocrisy, you don't fake it. All right. Can you see the difference in two atmospheres? The atmosphere that Satan creates is strife, going to have my way, anger, offense, worry, worry. The atmosphere God creates in the human heart is peace, gentleness. I'm willing to yield. God's driving the ship. If he wants me there, he'll get me there. I'm not going to reach for it. It's a quiet, it's a mercy. Bless you. You don't know me anything. I mean, if you nail me to a cross, my prayer is that I'd be able to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the atmosphere of God. 
and it's without partiality. I'm not fighting for my crowd to get anything. There is one race of one blood on the face of the earth in his kingdom. And ultimately it's going to be that way. So you might as well go ahead and get, get used to it now. All right. How many of you would like good things to happen in your family? That wasn't a hard question. How many of you would like good things to happen in your family? How many of you would like to have a good life yourself? Watch the next verse. 18. The fruit of righteousness is sown where? In peace by those who create peace. Let me tell you something. God only works in an atmosphere of peace. The fruit of righteousness, when God brings good things into a family, good things into a church, a life, he's got to have an atmosphere of peace to work in. If I go outdoors and do something and it's five below zero, I'm, go, I'm not working. I'm going back inside. Amen. If I go outside and it's 72 in sunshine, I'm staying out there and working all day. When God visits my heart or my home and he sees strife, he says, I can't work there. Wow. When he visits my heart and he sees peace, Lord, they don't forgive them. Forgive me and I forgive them. I'm, I'm at risk. When he finds peace, God works. Do you see why Satan hates peace? He knows if they create an atmosphere of peace, God's going to come do something there. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is only sown in an atmosphere of peace by those who do what? Make trouble. Try to outshout each other. People who create peace. Amen. Listen, Jesus is the creator of peace. So there are two atmospheres and there's a great conflict. What's today's atmosphere in the land? It is strife through and through. It was rife with strife and families, land... All right, now let me, let me tell you about this prophecy in your life. Listen to what I'm fixing to say. You're not going to change prophecy. You're not going to change the culture. You're not, not going to lasso that spirit on that red horse and make him go back to hell. He's out till Jesus gets back. That's right. Amen. Let me tell you something. There's not going to be peace in this land anymore. There's not going to be peace in the nation. There's not going to be peace on earth till the Prince of Peace comes back. There, was, there used to be an old song we sang. Well, I, yeah, I remember singing it. I was asked to sing it at a funeral one time. Great place to sing it. There will be peace in the valley for me someday. Well, yes. I mean, you know, after they haul you out, why can't there be peace in the valley today? Amen. Claudia sang that song a little while ago. What a great line. Peace. I'm going to tell you something. There, there can be peace today. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. I'm going to live in peace. And it's not because the Democrats will start behaving or the Republicans will get some sense. It's because thou, O shepherd, art with me. It is the presence of God. This is one that I love this verse. And when I say I love this verse, I mega love this verse. I mean, this, this is the on the earth verse. John 16, 33, Jesus said this. These things I have spoken to you, which is the word of God, that in me you may have peace. Now see if Jesus is telling the truth here. In the world you will have tribulation. Is he telling the truth? You listen to me carefully. From here on out, it's going to get more intense. This evil spirit that's taking peace out of the earth, he's going to cut up. Dear ones, you're going to have trouble on this earth. Can you see that you can be in trouble and have peace right there? Jesus said, in the world you'll have trouble. And listen, not only can you have peace, what else can you have? What do you say next? Be of good cheer. You can live in crazy days and have joy, the joy of Jesus on the inside Amen. and have peace in your heart. This is one of the greatest promises. This won't get you into heaven. This will get heaven into you on the way there. Yep. This will bring heaven into your heart. These things I've spoken to me that you, that in me you may have peace. 
but be of good cheer. I think we need to hear the last part of that verse. By the way, it looks like I'm losing. I'm not going to overcome this world one day. I've already done it. Amen. When he said on the cross, it is finished. It was finished that day. You said, Brother Brian, you, you ain't watching the news. Yes, I am. I'm watching the good news of God's word. Let me make an announcement. It ain't over till the fat lady sings. And she fixing to belt it out. Just thought I'd point that out. You, you don't want to be on the side that's ahead in the score right now. You want to be on the side that wins in the end. I promise you, he has overcome this world and there is peace in him. I, again, I love Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you. Get your mind in the right place and he'll give it to you there. That one of the great pictures of peace in a storm. One of them is in Mark chapter 40. Remember where Jesus told it? He told them, get in that boat and we're going somewhere. Remember this? They got in the boat and a tremendous storm came up. Guess what? Didn't see that coming. How many of you know life is all about? Didn't see that coming. They didn't see that storm coming. And you got the guys, they, they said to him, we are dying. We are dying. Do you not care? We are dying. Oh, so much for their training. Can I ask you a question? During that storm where sailors thought they were dying, does anybody remember what Jesus was doing? Sleeping. He was asleep. What is that all about? Peace. Peace. In the worst storm they'd ever seen, Jesus is snoring. Do you really think that's teaching you how not to get seasick when you're fishing off the coast of North Carolina? What's he saying right there? I don't care how rough the storm is and I don't care how much they're screaming. You can be at peace. And then just to show you who the, who the head man is here, he stood up and he said, peace. I want to make an announcement. We're screaming about this storm going on in the earth today. Jesus is going to speak one word and it's going to be over. But then he turned to them and he said this. Dang, I was scared too, boys. That's not what he said. How many of God don't get scared? He said, where's your faith? You could have been asleep with me instead of screaming during the storm. Well, he wasn't fussing. You know what he was saying? Next time this happens, do what I did. I want y'all to be able to do this. Great peace in the middle of the storm. And this, this is the wonderful verse. I, I, there, there, was, there, there is a... I, I, believers keep telling me, well, you just can't help it today. What do you not like about God's truth? All right, I'm going to really blow you away with this one right here. There's a verse in the Bible that says this. Never be worried about anything. But in everything, everything. Guess what the word everything covers? Through prayer and supplication with, a, with, a, with thanksgiving. Don't pray and whine. He don't want to hear it. Oh, God, it's so bad down here in Mabel. God, I don't know about God. It's just so. I know he looks at him and says, here they come again. Old ball bags. Here we go. Dear ones, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Your prayer should just be baptized with thanksgiving. Don't say, God, can you do something? Father, I want to praise you and thank you that your eyes on the sparing is watching over me. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now listen to this verse, verse 7. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will protect your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That, that is a supernatural something from God where people look at you and say, 
This don't bother you? That don't bother you? What did the Bible say? It passes under. They don't understand why you're so peaceful. That's available to every believer. Our Savior needs to become our peacekeeper. And this is that great promise. I, matter of fact, that one of the great promises in Psalm 34 says this. They will delight themselves in peace. They, they'll just sit around and say, man, I'm, I'm sure you're having the best day today. Yeah. All right, let's talk about living in peace. And let me help you reach the place where you got to live in peace. Because he can be your Savior. You got to learn how to live in peace. Let me, uh, let me help you with this. You got to determine that peace is going to run my life. Now listen, peace is going to run my life. All right, I want to give you three things from Scripture. Let's look at that great verse, Colossians chapter 3. He would be glad to help you, Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, take this one verse. You can never miss it in life if you'll let this verse run your life. If you'll let him make every decision, and he'll make decisions for you, and here's how he makes decisions for you. Colossians 3.15, I, I quote this verse in my mind constantly, constantly. And it says this, Colossians 3.15 says this, let, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let God run your life and let him do it by the peace that he puts in your heart. Now listen to me, it did not say let peace rule in your heart. Not long ago, I had a friend here at this church made a decision. It was a bad decision, affected a family. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I have peace about it. I said, the Bible did not say get peace. It said, let the peace of God rule. Mm. You can have peace about something, but that's not God's peace. Mm. This said, let the peace of God rule in your heart and be thankful. We need to let the peace. Of... Listen, I've determined peace is going to run my life. I didn't know this as a young man. I didn't know it as a young preacher. But I began to learn this and I began to practice this. Peace is going to run my life. It's going to call, and ever since I've let, when I let peace run my life, it's always blessed. When I get back under the wheel, never mind. Number one, three things about letting peace rule in your life. Number one, the first thing each day, I put my britches on before I go outside. Do you? For which we give thanks. You ever heard of dress for success? Forget the cufflinks, Doc. Dress for success means put your boots on. Yep. I will not go out of the house without the boots of peace on. Till my heart's at peace, I'm not going out of the house. Dennis Swanberg, he's a Christian speaker and humorist. He's hilarious. And he said, I drove my son to school one morning and said he was real. I got there and he seemed bothered. Elementary school, he said, what's wrong, son? He said, Daddy, I ain't got no shoes on. He said, son, it's cold. Did your feet not get cold when you walked out of the house this morning? He said, I don't remember. Put your boots on, Doc. Dude, America has created a lifestyle where we go out of the house in strife. We stayed up too late last night. We didn't have time. We're in a hurry. You're chewing on a honey bun, putting on mascara, kicking Junior because he forgot his homework. <laughs> how you start your day is how you'll end your day. I wouldn't go out of the house without peace. I'm, I'm just not going to live without peace on the inside. Number two, I'm not going to move until I have peace on something. Listen to me, listen to me. Well, you're talking about saving my life. If I'm bothered right here, I will never open my mouth. Yeah, you say, well, that's spiritual. That ain't spiritual. Hardest thing I ever do is keep my mouth shut when I don't have peace. I want to let it rip, tater chip. I want to tear them anew sometimes. I mean, I want to 
But you know what I've learned? Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Don't open your mouth if you're upset. If you're scared, if you're worried, if you're confused, if, you're, if you've had all you can take of them, mm, zip that lip. Mm. Are you going to eat what you put out there one day? Probably by afternoon. I, I'm not going to open my mouth like I have peace about something. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Not only that, I'm not going to act until I have peace in something. I'm, I'm, the dumbest thing you can do is try to figure out whether it makes sense or not. You, oh, you're headed for a catastrophe. Do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your what? Head, heart. And when you're going to do so, you're going to act. There should be a quietness on the. If something down here is bothering you, freeze. Yes, good. That is, that is the Spirit of God saying, you, ooh, you're fixing to get in trouble here. How many of you have ever started to say something or do something and you were sort of troubled right here and you went ahead and did it anyway and wished you hadn't? All of us. All right, let me tell you something. I get in conflict. I'm, by the nature of my job, I'm brought into conflict all the time. It ain't about who said what. I, and I, here's what we do. When I get in a room and I'm managing conflict for people or whatever, let me tell you something. The issue is not important to me. We're going to bring peace in this room before we even talk about it anymore. Everybody quit talking. We're going to pray until there's a quietness comes in this room. And when quietness comes, because I've watched it. I've watched people say, well, yeah, well, let me, let me, here. And this one say, well, yeah, yeah. and then this one, and I just watch it escalate. And then all of a sudden, bad things start happening. D don't deal with the issues. Go back to peace. When, when you and your spouse, if y'all do this, I don't know why you would, but if you do this and it gets heated up, when it gets heated up, shut up. Listen to me, stop right there and say, we're going to pray yeah. right there. Dear ones, hell trembles when people stop and pray. Mm, that's, that's why I encourage couples. Um, you don't have to do a laundry list or prayer request together. Every day you need to pray a short prayer together. And, and you just need to, and don't bless Aunt Sadie and the dog and all that. Don't do that stuff. Just pray together and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for my sweetheart. Thank you for what you blessed us with. That's it. You have no idea the power in the spirit realm that simple prayer has. If there's something between you, it is fixing to get crushed when you hear somebody thank God for you. Mm, remember, remember, it's not what she said. It's not what he did. We are wrestling with principalities and powers that hate your marriage and would love to do nothing more than divide it. Destroy your home. Destroy your church. Peace. Peace. Anytime I sense a lack of peace, I don't care what the issues are, we're going to get back to peace before we deal with the issues. And I, when I, Lord Almighty, feel my temperature right. When I sense the temperature going up in the room, knock it off. Peace. When I get in a conversation with a group of people and one of them starts getting heated up or saying something they shouldn't say, I immediately, and I don't say, shut your face. <laughs> Remember a harsh answer just stirs up wrath, but I'll begin to bend the conversation away from that as graciously as you can. Listen to me. You say, nothing good comes out of strife ever. You say, Brother Brown, sometimes you just got to take the bull by the horns. The bull fixing to kill you. As a matter of fact, you're full of bull. Listen to me. 
Would you listen to God's word? Listen to God. Listen to what he says about all this junk we're doing today. The anger of man, the wrath of man never works the righteousness of God. God never uses anger. Anger is hell's tool. Anger is the opposite of peace. And uh, just don't ever deal with anything. Number two. And then number three, I'll only make decisions by his peace. I don't care if it looks like it's pure gold with a cherry on top. If I don't have peace right here, I'm not going to do it. Every decision I have to make on anything, I just present it to the Father and I say, I'm dumb as a brick. You know that? I, I can only see what I can see. You can see everything. Lead me in the right way. You say, well, I'm waiting for him to speak to you. He speaks to you through peace. When there's a sweetness and a quietness in your heart over time on something, that's him saying, that's what I want right there. When you, as Paul said this, I could, I could find no rest in my spirit. I was restless down here. That's the spirit of God saying, no, no. All right, your company offers to double your salary, give you a new car if you'll move to Dallas. Everything looks good. Man, you're dumb not to take that. But something down here says, uh-uh. You bothered right here in your spirit. There's something you can't see that God can't. Listen to me. It's not about your paycheck. It's about your family. We got to quit worshiping our job and start worshiping God to get in this land. Got to put family first. Let him, listen, let him run your life. Where do you think he's going to take you? You think he's going to take you to the trash pile? You will never trade down with God. He leads you to green. If we would just let him run our lives, how's he do it? By peace. Let him put peace in your hearts. I met a fellow one time. He was an investor. He had never lost one dime. As in, I don't know anybody that's ever done that. Even good investors lose money because you've got to take risks. He said, I never lost a dime. Every opportunity that came to me through the years, instead of studying, I'd study a little bit. Instead of thinking about it, I would get quiet and worship God and wait on him. And I had opportunities that looked like sure missions, but something down here would just be, would be restless. I'd say, I'm not interested. And down the road, it would collapse. I had other things didn't look that good and I almost turned it down, but something down here, I got this sweet piece right here and I thought, I'm going to do that. And I got rich off of it. Then was the Spirit of God will lead you in every decision by peace. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Just, just let him, this is how he speaks. All right. <clears throat> now let me teach you the difference between pieces. There's two pieces in this world. There's the world's peace and there's God's peace. They are not the same. And we got people looking for the world's peace. Look with me again in John chapter 14 at the great promises of peace. In John 14, for one of the greatest gifts, eternal life is the greatest gift anybody can ever get. I think peace on earth is the greatest gift he can give you in this life. All the money in the world can't buy a peaceful heart. All the money in the world can't buy a good night's rest. A peaceful home. All right, in John chapter 14 is the great promise about peace. The, the two, two different pieces. John 14, 27. Look what Jesus said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So can you see there's a difference between God's peace and worldly peace? And then he said this. He says this over and over. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it ever be afraid. Over and over he says that. He begins chapter 14 saying the same thing. Don't ever let your heart be upset. But there are two pieces. Let me, let me tell you the difference here. Friend, the world's peace is always circumstantial. It's always circumstantial. If the circumstances are right, I can be at peace. If everybody will behave and act like they got some sense. The world's peace is the absence of something. 
Uh, that's why people want to go out in the wilderness and the mountain, mountaintop or, you know, wherever and get alone where it's peaceful. Well, that's, that's cool. I like that myself. Jesus did it. But that's not God's peace. That's the world's peace. Um, again, I told you earlier, chemicals. You know, chemicals are the world's peace. That, that's when, actually, that's numbing you to what's going on. Let me tell you the difference between that. The difference God's peace is not circumstantial. God's peace is a person. God's peace is the presence of somebody. That's why we read in verse 14, 27, my peace I give unto you. But verse 26, the one above it says, the helper will come. The Holy Spirit will come. There's when, like, let me, it's like if I'm afraid in a, say like when I see one of my teenage girls and she's in a place, in a shopping area or something and it's a little dark and she sees people that look dangerous and I can tell she's nervous. So I just walk up, I just walk up beside her and you just feel her go, she relaxes because I'm there. Then when the Holy Spirit walks up to you, you just go, I ain't got care in this world. Peace is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It's the presence of God. It's not when you get your mom in law to behave. <laughs> Peace is somebody. It's the presence of God. Have you ever noticed all through the scripture when Jesus walked on the earth in bodily form, every place he walked up to, peace happened. Yeah. Let me pick you another. Mark, Mark chapter 6, they were in another storm, not the one in Mark chapter 4. Mark 6, they were in another boat in another storm. And the Bible said Jesus went walking to them on the water. Now, a lot of my liberal theology professors say that's not possible. I'm going to tell you it's not possible. You making it into heaven ain't possible. You keep talking like that. People say, why do, why do you think he walked on water? Because it was 22 miles around the lake. It was three miles straight across. He just took a shortcut. He walked across the water. But they were in that boat and it said he walked across the water in the storm and said they were terrified. But the Bible said the moment he stepped into the boat, the waves stopped and calm came. Every time Jesus walked up, peace came. Good. In people's hearts. And when Jesus walks up, there's peace. All right, he's not in bodily form anymore. He's in the spirit now. He's in spirit form now. And any place the Holy Spirit shows up, peace shows up. All right. We used to sing an old song years ago in the uh, Jesus movement days. said, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. We sang about there's a sweet spirit in this place. And I know it's the presence of the Lord. Sweet, and it was the sweet peace of God that shows up when he's there. That's the peace of God. You can live in that peace. I mean, there can be a storm brewing around you and you can be as quiet as a lake on the inside. And that's the promise of his peace that, that we so desperately long for. All right, let me ask you, um, let, me, let me one more time, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Dear ones, if you're upset and bothered and troubled and something is wrong, there's a disconnect between you and your creator. Psalm 34 teaches that. Psalm 37. But if I am right with God, there's going to be a peace in my heart. That's right. Quit blaming everybody else. Find you a place on your knees. Pray till peace comes. Yep. Get it right and find peace. It's not their fault. It's your need. Get it in your heart. All right, let me, one more thing before I'm done. One more thing. Everybody's looking for a great life. Everybody's looking for a better life. You wouldn't be in church tonight if you weren't looking for a better life. What's your definition of a great life? Or let's say this. Let's use the phrase abundant life. What's your definition of abundant life? Money? You think money makes a great life? No, you've got to have money and it's good to have it because you've got to you know, you buy britches to put on before you go out in the morning. 
But anyways, I know a lot of people got money and they, they're on sleeping pills. They're miserable. A great life doesn't come from what you got out here. It's not the house. It's not the car. It's not the money. It's not arm candy. Who came up with that? Arm candy. Get your mannequin. You girls, some of you girls be better off with them. Never mind. It's not out here. You know where abundant life is? It's in here. May I suggest something to you? If you had three things on the inside, you would have the greatest life possible. Those three things are love and joy and peace. If you had those three things on the inside, I don't care if you live in a pup tent, pump a bicycle to go everywhere you go and eat pork and beans every meal, you'd have a great life. But if you don't have those three things, I don't care what you got. It don't matter. When I was, a, again, a young man back in the roaring 1800s, when I was a teenager in high school, there were three famous people on the earth. By hand, hands down, far and away, the most beautiful woman in the world, the she-queen of everything, was Marilyn Monroe. She was it. She was the, super, the supermodel of that day. The most famous singer is still the most famous singer, most accomplished singer of all times, and that was the man with the blue suede shoes, Elvis Presley, the world's richest man on Hughes Lockheed Aircraft, and that was Howard Hughes. That was, the, that was the prettiest, the richest, and the most famous. Elvis died a depressed man reading a book about the bones of Jesus, supposedly, in his bathroom. Marilyn Monroe committed suicide in misery. Howard Hughes locked himself in his mansion, taped the windows up as a miserable old man. It's on the inside. It's not the stuff you got out here. If you've got peace and you've got the joy of Jesus and you've got the love of God in your heart, you've got life. You've got everything you need right there. That, that's abundant life. You ever, there's a word in the Bible that means good things happen. It's the word blessed. You ever see that in the word? Anytime you see the word blessed, I go, boom, how do I get blessed? Blessed means God does good things for you. Listen to this, Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the peacemakers. You want a great life? Make peace. Make it in your heart first and then make it everywhere else. So I don't want to quit by giving you one verse. One of the great crazinesses of the trial of Jesus was that it was not handled properly, even according to Roman law. Turn with me, look at Isaiah 53. I want to show you something here. Isaiah 53, of course, is that great passage that prophesies the suffering of Jesus 800 years before he went to the cross. Isaiah 53, one verse. All right, I think I, maybe I've told this before. At this age, you've got to show me some mercy. Under Roman law, it was illegal to chastise a man, which means to tie him to the whipping post and whip him. Under Roman law, you could whip a man. Uh, it was legal to whip a man. You tie him to a whipping post and you used a whip, cat of nine tails, or you used a rod, but usually it was a whip. And you could tie his hands above his head and tie, whip his back. And you're allowed to hit him 39 times. Actually, the Hebrew law said 40 times, but they said 39 in case they miscount. They were real funny about that stuff. So to chastise a man or whip a man, you could put, remember Paul was whipped uh, in Philippi. He was whipped. Matter of fact, Paul was whipped nine times for preaching the gospel. I think I'll be a bus driver. But uh, you could whip a man and under Roman law, you could crucify a man. You could nail him to a cross. Romans were the most cruel people. They, they were, these were barbarians. You could crucify a man, but under Roman law, you couldn't do both. It was illegal to chastise a man and crucify him. But Jesus was both whipped and crucified. Why'd that happen? Well, I mean, here's the uh, official government account. 
the governor didn't want to crucify Jesus because his wife has had a dream said have nothing to do with that righteous man. He didn't want to crucify him, but the mob was getting violent and pushing him. And they're screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said, what has he done? He said, I find no fault in this man. They said, crucify him. Finally, somebody hollered out, you are not the friend of Caesar's if you let him go. Now he's getting political pressure put on him to kill Jesus. And sort of like we saw happen in Portland, Oregon, and places around this nation where politicians are giving in to keep them having cities burned down. They're giving in to the mobs. He gave in and uh, he, had an, he had a last minute idea would save the life of Christ. He said, I'll whip him. Because everybody there knew you can't whip him. And he said, I'll whip him. That'll be punishment enough for what he said. Y'all are mad because he claimed to be somebody. So I'll just whip him. So the Bible said they tied Jesus to the whipping post and chastised him and whipped him 39 times. He'd already been abused physically by the soldiers. They whipped him. And when he saw that, the Bible said, when he saw that a riot was about to brew, he gave Christ to be crucified. Wow. He saw he wasn't in control. So he said, fine. He, and I remember he brought the bowl out, washed his hands, said, I am innocent of the blood of this man. You do it. It's on, his blood be on you. And listen to what the Jewish leaders said. Listen to what the Jews said. His blood be on us and our children. What is the history of Judaism since that day? And of course, Christ was crucified. And you say, that was awful. I mean, that, they could, that was illegal. Why'd they do it? It was all part of God's plan. Everything they did was God's plan. May I put this forth before you if you've ever thought about this? Who sacrificed more in the crucifixion? Jesus or the Father? Jesus gave his life on a cross. The father stood and watched his son do it. Ask me which I'd rather do, die on a cross or watch my son do it. The father gave more at the cross by having to watch it. But it was the, it was the love of God for you that he would do that. Now here's why the Bible explains he was crucified and chastised. Romans 53, 5. He was wounded. Uh, the word wounded means pierced nailed to the cross <clears throat> for our transgressions. He was bruised, nailed to the cross for our iniquities. Why was Jesus nailed to the cross? To cleanse me of my sin and make me a child of God and give me eternal life. Let's read the rest of that verse. <clears throat> the chastisement, the whipping for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. Jesus died on a cross so I could be a child of God and have eternal life but he was whipped so I could live in his peace. And you want Jesus to be your savior. You want Jesus to give you eternal life. Everybody needs that. Why would you not take advantage of everything he did for you? The same Jesus who died to save you from your sins and give you eternal life. He was whipped so you could enjoy peace on earth and live in peace. And of course, not only was that, but by his stripes, we are healed. People debate, does that mean physical healing or emotional healing? Yes. God is all about all kinds of healing everywhere. That's right. Amen. He heals bodies. He heals hearts. He heals minds. He heals homes. Yep. He said, if, if my people, forget the Democrats and the Republicans, if my people would get off of it, that's Southern Alamance for humble themselves. If they would get off their high horse and pray and seek my face and quit living like hypocrites, I would hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and do what? Heal their land. God's only got one remedy for this nation. It is for the small remnant of true believers to hit their faces and honor God, and He'll fix the land. Republicans had their chance. Democrats got their chance. 
Let me make an announcement. All the king's horses and all the king's men. Ain't gonna put this Humpty Dumpty back together again. He would fix it today. He is going to fix it when Jesus returns. But it'd be nice to have it today. But dear ones, listen, don't waste the death of Christ. By not being saved, don't waste the chastisement of Jesus by not walking in peace and enjoying the peace of God. I just, I, I just love peace. I, peace is, I'm addicted. I had surgery a little while back, had cataracts a long time ago. I had Dr. Sidney fix my eyes and I got done and I'd ask him, could you do it without putting me to sleep? He said, I don't know. He said, I'll try it, but if you get to wiggling, I'm gonna knock you out. I said, well, let's try it. I said, I don't like being put to sleep. And uh, so we, me and him were talking about cows. He grows cows too, raises cows. Right up out of the ground. They just grow right up out of the grass. Yep. He fertilizes them. <laughs> we got to talk. We're, I'm in the operating table. I already got me on the table. We're talking about cows, raising cows and all that. And all of a sudden I started to get dreary. And I said, you lied. And that's all I got out of my mouth. <laughs> he forgot to tell the anesthesia person, don't put him to sleep. He's going to see if he can try without it. All right. So anyway, he puts me to sleep, fixes my eye. Come out there. They put you in this room with these nice girls. Put these warm blankets out of a toaster on you. She came over and she said to me, can I get you a thing? I said, no, ma'am, leave me alone for a while. I said, I had forgot how much fun drugs are. I had been high. I said, can I, I need to take some home. I'm hurting real bad. I said, I need some of this to go home with me. Do you know what? You know what? It was the peace. I don't know what they gave me, but I would highly recommend it. <laughs> I'm picking I'd almost have surgery. Well, (laughs) there is a peace from God that quiets the human soul. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. And we need to be a people of peace. You're going to stand out like a sore thumb if you have peace in this earth. Good. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you that in this day of strife, you said in the world you will have tribulation. Your word is so clear that that red horse of the apocalypse is released in the earth. Lord Jesus, I've just never seen a day where men cannot get along and and nobody even knows the reason, but your word is clear. It is a spiritual battle. The powers of hell are jerking peace out of this earth. They're taking peace out of Christian homes. People can't say a civil word to each other. They're taking peace out of churches where people just want to raise the temperature and fight and argue and be offended and what You said it would happen. Your word's clear. But I praise you and thank you that though your word prophesies the day of strife, it also promises perfect peace in you. And I praise you that wherever you walk up, peace is. And I pray for every person in this room. They'll they'll make a decision tonight. I'm going to live in peace. I'm going to learn to walk in peace. I'm not going out of the house without my boots on. And every place I walk, I'm going to walk in peace. And I'm going to let God put peace in my heart. I'm not going to speak without peace. I'm going to be swift to speak, excuse me, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And I'm going to live in peace. And I just want to praise you and thank you, Lord Jesus. Your word says that the, the, the righteous will delight themselves in peace. I just enjoy peace. I do not like all this hell raising going on in the earth. I don't like it in my heart. I want it in my life. I want it in my heart, my home, and my church. And I thank you for that. I give you all the praise and glory. I pray for every person here tonight, the peace of God that passes all understanding. So Father, I'm going to close by blessing tonight. The Lord bless you, keep you, make His face to shine on you. 
be gracious to you, lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. Strong name of Jesus. Thank you for hearing that prayer and answering it. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.